0: Well did you have a good Christmas and a, a good New Year? How many of you? Did you? Yeah it's a great time of year isn't it? Manisa and I missed you last Sunday. We, we were in Kentucky visiting family and I was able to preach at my home church and every time I go to my home church I, I think about when I first became a believer as a teenager and all those experiences I had with, with the people there and with God and how he changed my life and and I remember, I got to thinking about it as they were singing the hymns, because uh, there's just not a not a service where we sing some of these things. They may sing a few of these, but a lot of the traditional hymns. And I, uh, I remember when I first started going to church there as a teenager, I'd, I'd walk in uh, and one of the things I would do is I'd look at the bulletin. And uh, when I saw certain hymns, some of the the upbeat peppy hymns or some of the hymns about the cross, i get all excited because I love those hymns. And then I'd see a few others and i think, eh, okay, it may be all right. But, you know, so I have my favorites. We all have our favorites when it comes to music, right? And one of my favorite hymns was and still is, To God Be the Glory, Great Things He Hath Done. It's a beautiful hymn. I love that hymn. It always encourages me and, and it's just a hymn of, of praise to the Lord. But what some of you may not know is that that old hymn, to God Be the Glory, was written by a lady named Fanny Crosby. She wrote about 8,000 songs in her life, a lot of poems. She wrote some of the classic hymns in, in Baptist hymnals like Rescue the Perishing, uh, Blessed Assurance, Praise Him, Praise Him, a whole, whole lot of great great songs. But what's amazing and inspirational about her story is Fanny Crosby did all of this while she was blind. She, uh, she had something happen to her when she was about six weeks old and that ruined her eyes and so she she was never able to see and she became a very famous person in America uh, in fact had a had a visit to the White House with the president she uh, wrote a lot of music a lot of poetry she became a speaker very very well very well known and uh, but all of it while well, she was blind and when I think about her I think about how inspirational her example is because so many people use the bad things that happen to them in life as an excuse to to do nothing. As an excuse to, to, to be bitter. I mean, Fanny Crosby could have spent her life being bitter about her situation. But she didn't. She was someone who who had an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ and she was always upbeat and positive. She had a great faith and she expressed it in her, in her poems and in her hymns and in her, in, her, in her songs. She's, an, she's a great example of living a life that says, I'm not going to use what happens to me as an excuse to settle for less than God wants me to be in life. As an excuse for not using my gifts and my talents and my skills to make a difference in this world. Another story that was inspirational to me when I was a teenager, when I was your all's age, because this is when I first learned about a lady named Corrie Ten Boom. How many of you in here have ever heard of Corrie Ten Boom? Some of you who are middle-aged and up know who she is. Okay. Corrie Ten Boom, as an adult, lived with her adult sister and her father in Amsterdam during World War II. Germany had conquered the Netherlands, and they were sending the Jews to the concentration camps. Corrie Tim Boom and her family were devout Christians. They hid Jews in their home in Amsterdam. In fact, the picture on the right, there's a, her, that home is a museum today, and that's the hiding place that you went in through the closet, and they've opened up a place in the wall so you could see what it was like inside. And so they hid a lot of Jews in their home. In February of 1944, someone snitched on them and the Gestapo raided their house. Cory Tim Boom and her family were arrested, taken away to prison, to concentration camps. About ten days after their arrest, her elderly father died. December that year, her sister Betsy died in the concentration camp. A little later... Cory Tim Boom was released. She learned later it was because of a clerical mistake. Of course, we know who was the author of that clerical error, right? That was God's doing. When the war ended, Cory Tim Boom went home. And for a while, she, she operated a, a, rehabilitation, a rehabilitation center for uh, survivors of the concentration camps. She also, in that rehabilitation center, ministered to former members of her own city who had cooperated with the Nazis because nobody would give them a job after the war. She had this huge heart. Cory Tim Boom became a popular speaker. She traveled around the world speaking. She wrote books. Books were written about her. And in the early 70s, Billy Graham's ministry, of course, produced a movie about her life, The Hiding Place. How many of you have either read the book, The Hiding Place, or her book, Tramp for the Lord, or you've seen The Hiding Place movie? You remember that? The story of her life is very, very inspiring. Corrie ten Boom tells about being in Germany after the war, and she was approached by a man. She recognized him. He had been a guard in the concentration camp where she had been sent and where her sister had died, and he was one of the most cruel guards in that concentration camp. And now he was walking up to her, and and she had this flood of emotions that startled her almost. And she was struggling with what to do and, and how to react to him, and so she prayed for God to help her and for God to help her forgive. And in her book... Let me read read what she actually says. Let me read the, the quote to you. She says, For a long moment we grasped each other's hands, the former guard and the former prisoner. I had never known God's love so intensely as I did then. Now think about that. She would often say as she ministered to survivors of the concentration camp that those who found the ability to forgive were better able to build a life than those who held on to all the hurt and all the anger. That those who continue to live in the past, as terrible as it was and as understandable as it is for us to understand how angry they could be, she said, in working with them, for those who held on to that, who continued to live there, struggled to build a life, to build a future. But those who could take the pain and find a way to let God work in their life and bring forgiveness were better able to build a life, to build a future. Corey Tim Boom could have used all of her experiences. She could have used the death of, the, of her father, the death of her sister, as an excuse to spend the rest of her life angry, the rest of her life bitter. She could have used it as an excuse to question God and say, God, if you love me, why did you allow that terrible thing to happen? She could have been a prisoner to those terrible years and in so doing squandered the decades that she lived afterward. But she said, I'm not going to make excuses. I want God to work in my life. And, and, and by the way, 2014, how good a year it's going to be will be determined by how open you are to what God wants to do in your life. But here's the catch. If you spend too much time making excuses, then you're going to cheat yourself. Excuses hinder what God wants to do in your life. Excuses limit what God can do in your life. Excuses inhibit you and put you in a box and say, this is where I am and I'm not going anywhere else. I'm not, I'm not going to become any more than what I already am. And too many of us spend our days living that way. Now... We all make excuses. I make excuses. You ever make excuses? Ladies, y'all ever make excuses? I do. We all do. It's human nature, isn't it? And sometimes the excuses we make are silly. They're more emotional than anything. I remember when I first became a believer and then a little later, I was still in high school, they were letting our youth group decide where we were going to go that summer. Now, they never did that. I don't know why on this one occasion they said, we're going to let the, let the youth themselves decide where we go. And here, here's our two options. We can either go on a mission trip or go to Glorieta, New Mexico, which is our Baptist assembly out in New Mexico, at, sort of like Ridgecrest up in North Carolina, but it's out in the mountains of New Mexico. And we were all from Kentucky and never been to the southwest. So where do you think the youth wanted to go, a mission trip or Glorietta, New Mexico? How many of you think the youth wanted to go to, and do a mission trip? How many of you think the youth wanted to go to Glorietta, New Mexico for a week? You got it. That was the overwhelming choice. I was one of two people who wanted to go on a mission trip instead. Let's go serve Jesus. Let's go do some good. Let's go win some people to Jesus. We don't need to go out there and spend a week just having fun out in New Mexico. I lost. We went to New Mexico. And I got my feelings hurt. I got mad. And I thought, y'all aren't very spiritual. I just want to go out there and have fun. I'm going to go do something spiritual. We're going to serve Jesus. Go win, win some people to Jesus. We're going to go on a mission trip. Y'all don't want to do that. You just, you ain't spiritual. And I got all puffed up and angry. Um, well, I did. And for a while, I acted like a jerk. You ever acted like a jerk? Well, if if you say no, you're lying. Come on. And uh, I'm not going on the trip. Y'all can go. I'm not doing that. That's not spirit. I'm not doing that. I'm not going with you. They said, fine, we're going. (laughs) Eventually, I came around and I went to Glorietta with them. I had a blast. I've got pictures. I was, In fact, I was looking at the photo album um, earlier this morning before I left the house looking at those pictures. And by the way, one evening in the prayer garden at Glorietta is when I surrendered to ministry. I wonder what you've missed out on that God was wanting to do in your life because you've made silly emotional excuses to justify not doing what God was asking you to do. See, it's easy for emotions to to rule us, to make it about me and how I feel and this, that. and, and, And those excuses justify how we feel. They justify what we're doing. And the whole time... We're cheating ourselves. We're limiting what God can do. We're robbing ourselves of the future God has for us. And that's just not a great way to live. So this month of January, we're going to focus on making no excuses. Asking you to try and experiment. To spend one month, to spend the next 30 days... Without making excuses. What would your life look like? What would it be like? What would change in your life if for the next month you did everything God asked you to do? How would your life be different if for the next 30 days you determined that you're going to live biblically in every aspect of your life as God speaks to you about it? What would would change? What would happen? If if you just said, for the next 30 30 days, for this next month, I'm going to try this experiment. How would things be different at home? What would be different in how you relate to people at work? Or maybe how you do your job? What what would change in your relationships? What would change at school? What would change inside of you? How, How would your... Walk with Jesus be different. How would your prayer life and your Bible reading be different if, for the next thirty days, you said, "I'm going to, I'm going to accept the challenge. I'm going to try the experiment of living biblically, of obeying Jesus every time He speaks to me, and not making excuses." Would that have an impact on you? I I think it would. It would make a huge difference. Now, each Sunday we're going to focus on a different part of our life. Today we're going to focus on a relationship with God, with Jesus Christ. So I invite you to take your Bible and open it with me, please, to the book of Exodus chapter 2 because the example for making excuses when it comes to our relationship with God, the example this morning is, is Moses. Now, most of us, when we think about Moses, we think about this great man, this great prophet, this great religious leader of the Jewish people who led them from slavery in Egypt to freedom, part of the Red Sea. We think of Moses, we have this image of him being on the mountain of God and seeing the burning bush, God speaking to him, and then God giving Moses the Ten Commandments, Moses the lawgiver, Moses the author of the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Old Testament. But there's so much more to Moses' story than that. Moses was born into a slave family. Did you get that? Moses was born into a slave family in Egypt. His parents were Jewish. And the Jewish citizens of Egypt were slaves. And chapter 2 of Exodus tells us that their population had increased so much that the authorities in Egypt became concerned. They wanted to, to decrease the number of Jewish slaves, so they would be more likely to control a riot. And they they passed a law that infant males, infant boys, were to be killed, diminish the population that way. Boys were a bigger risk in the rebellion than girls. Moses' mother nursed him until she could no longer hide him, and then, trusting God, she put him in a basket, placed it in the Nile River, and had Moses' older sister watch it. Pharaoh's daughter, the the princess of Egypt, if you will, found him, rescued him, and decided to raise him as her own son. She even allowed Moses' mother... To continue nursing him. And so Moses grew up with this dichotomy in his life. Moses grew up knowing his own identity. That he was really a Jew. That his people were slaves. But he also grew up in Pharaoh's court the grandson, adopted grandson, if you will, of Pharaoh, the, the son of the princess of Egypt. He grew up in royal, royalty. And Scripture tells us he had, the, he had all the education that Egypt could provide. He had the, all the benefits of that life. He grew up as a prince of Egypt. And the whole time on the inside, he knew who he really was by blood. And then as a young man, Moses' conscience is pricked. His conscience begins to work on him. You you ever had a moment when you were going through life and suddenly God had a way of just, just reaching out and pricking your conscience? God, God just reached deep inside you and said, hey, 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 hey. Listen, something needs to be different. Something needs to change. Moses had one of those moments. Look with me in chapter 2 at verse 11 in Exodus. It came about in those days when Moses had grown up that he went out to the brethren and looked on their hard labors. He, he just went out to see what was happening to the Jewish people, the slaves, his people. And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his brethren. So he he looked this way and that way. And when he saw there was none, no one around, nobody was looking, he struck down, he killed the Egyptian and hid him, buried him in the sand. Here's this Egyptian official abusing a Jewish slave. And nobody's watching, so Moses kills him because he has empathy for this slave his blood, his people. Well, the story continues in verses 13 and following. Moses went out the next day, and behold, two Hebrews, two Jews, were fighting with each other. And he said to the offender, the one who was in the wrong, Why are you striking your companion? But he, the one who was wrong, said, Who made you a prince or a judge over us? Are you intending to kill me as you killed the Egyptian?" And then Moses was afraid and said, Surely the matter has become known. Verse 15, and when Pharaoh heard of this matter, he tried to kill Moses, but Moses fled from the presence of Pharaoh and settled in the land of Midian and sat down by a well. I mean, the, the, the Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, was not going to take kindly even to his adopted grandson, murdering a fellow Egyptian. who was just doing his job from their perspective with a slave. That was an act of treason. And Moses knew it. He knew he was in trouble with the Egyptian authorities. And so he fled to the Sinai Peninsula, to that mountainous desert region. And he settled into life for the next 40 years on the Sinai Peninsula. As a shepherd, he got married, he had a family, and it was in the midst of that 40 years of living this new life that God said, Moses, I've got something for you to do. Moses, I've got a new experience for you. Moses, it's time for you to grow. It's time for you to fulfill your purpose and mission in life. It's time for you to stop settling and become who and what I created you and called you to become. God intervened and interrupted Moses' routine. Look at chapter 3, verse 1. Moses was pasturing the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel, in verse 2, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the midst of a bush, and he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, yet the bush was not consumed. Verse 4. And when the Lord saw that he, that Moses turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, Moses answered, here am I. See, what what I'm praying is that today and other times this month, God interrupts your routine and speaks to you about things that He wants to do in your life, things that He wants to change in your life, ways that He wants you to grow, to become what you are not right now. The truth is, some of us already know some things that need to happen, don't we? We already know things that need to change, places we need to grow, things that need to be different in our life. We already know some of that. We've been making excuses to stay where we are. So I'm praying this month, God breaks through the excuses. God breaks through the routine and talks, and we hear. But if you're going to become, if you're going to grow, you have to stop making excuses. They're the very things that limit the growth, the becoming. Now, Moses is our example because this is a critical moment in Moses' life. We know what he became, but it almost did not happen because Moses was a lot like us. Moses was pretty good at making excuses. And God had to overcome them in his life. There's two excuses I want to focus on for a moment. The first one Moses made is found in verse 11 of chapter 3, chapter 3 Exodus verse 11. Moses said to God, "Who am I? Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? That I should bring the sons of Israel out of Egypt? Lord, who am I that you you want me to go back to Egypt, the place I ran from because I was afraid?" where I'm considered a traitor, you want me to go back there and you want me to bring the slaves out? You want me to be their deliverer? Who am I? Now, the truth is, Moses had incredible training. Raised in the house of Pharaoh, great education. He'd been exposed to the best of the best. Lived in the royal court. In your, on your insert, I printed for you the words from the New Testament book of Acts chapter 7 where it says that Pharaoh's daughter took him, took Moses away and nurtured him as her own son. And no, notice it says, Moses was educated in all the learning of the Egyptians. He was a man of power in words and deeds. But 40 years later, after 40 years in the Sinai, Moses didn't see him that way, any, himself that way any longer. Moses now saw himself as a shepherd, not a prince. Moses Moses had lost the boldness. The boldness he felt when he, when he went out that day and saw the Egyptian abusing a Jew. And he had killed the Egyptian. He had lost that boldness. And now, now he was meek. Now he was weak, perhaps. Now he was in hiding. Now he was afraid. And and he had become comfortable with his new life. He didn't see himself the way he had seen himself years earlier. His past was getting in the way of his future. Because in his past... Moses had tried to do what God was now asking him to do, but the first time he tried to do it himself his own way without God asking him to do it. And he failed. He failed. And I think Moses probably saw himself on some level as a failure. He had tried, but it hadn't worked. And sometimes, you and me, something from our past keeps getting in the way of our future. Something from our past is the ground from which our excuses grow. Maybe it's a past failure in your life. You, tr- you tried something and it didn't work. You blew it. You failed. and And today... You're a prisoner to that past failure. You're inhibited by it, and therefore you don't believe God can do anything in your life. You don't believe it can change. Sometimes it's a past sin. You made a wrong choice. You made a bad choice. You sinned against God. You sinned against someone else. And you're slave to the guilt. And, and you have this image of yourself that you can't be different, you can't overcome. You can't be Christ-like, you cannot be holy. That sin dominates your life. and, and today you still are in prison to that past sin. And, and you don't believe that God can make your future any different. For some, it's a, it's a past hurt past disappointment. Somebody let you down. Somebody said something. Someone did something. And you were wounded and you hurt. And we get that. But you're living there. It happened last week. It happened last year. It happened a, a decade ago. It happened 30 years ago. But here it is, 2014. And you're still living in the moment of that wound. The wound was real. The hurt was real. But living there means you're throwing away the years in front of you that could be different. Moses had settled into this new life. Wife, family, working for his father-in-law. And now God was interrupting it. Here's the truth. It is easy for us to sometimes hide by living. Get up and go to work. Have our family, our kids, our grandkids, our fun, our hobbies, our activities, whatever it is. We can do life. We can be busy with life and in living we hide from the voice of God as He says, you can become. You can grow. You can accomplish. You can achieve. You can be an instrument I use to make a difference in other people's lives. You can hide in just living. That's what Moses was doing. For 40 years he had been hiding in the desert. But there was another excuse he made. Look in chapter 4 of Exodus. Chapter 4, verse 10. He and God continue this conversation, and in verse 10, Moses said to the Lord, Please, Lord, I have never been eloquent neither recently nor in time past, nor since you have spoken to your servant, for I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. God, you want me to be the leader who leads this people to freedom? Stand before Pharaoh and Egyptian officials and talk to them. God, I am not a good speaker. I don't talk well when I get in front of people. I can't do it. I don't have the talent. don't have the skills. don't have the ability. I can't do it. And whether Moses fully understood it or not, Moses in that moment was questioning the wisdom of God in choosing Moses to be his instrument. Moses was questioning the wisdom of God and saying, I can use you. And when when God talks to us and says, I want you to become, I want you to grow, we make excuses, we're questioning God. God, why would you ask that of me? Don't you know who I really am? God, don't you know that I I, I don't have the ability? God, don't don't you know me? We, We question. God, why would you ask that of me? It's because God knows that more is possible in your life than you think. That's why. God sees in you some things you don't see in yourself. Moses was struggling and making excuses because his focus was in the wrong place. Do you know where Moses was focused? On himself. It was like this whole time as he's talking to God, Moses is looking in the mirror and all he focuses on, all he sees is himself. There's no focus on God. He doesn't see God. He just sees himself. He sees who he thinks he is. He sees what he cannot do. He sees himself, and there's no focus on God. You remember from driver's education, they teach us that when you're driving your car, whatever you stare at, you're going to gradually move in that direction. What you focus on in life is where you move, what you become. Young people, when we talk to you about watching what you listen to and what you, what you watch and what you read and what you put into your mind, it's because what you focus on, you become it eventually. It's just how life works. And so here's Moses, this burning bush, but he doesn't really see God. He sees himself. And notice how God responds. God's going to encourage Moses. God's going to to respond to Moses and say, Moses, it can happen, and you can be my instrument. In chapter 4, after Moses says, I'm not a good speaker, God says to him in verse 11, the Lord said to him, the Lord said to Moses, who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf, seen or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Verse 12, now then go, and I, even I will be with your, with your mouth, and teach you what you are to say. God says, Moses, maybe you're not the best speaker, but guess what? I can make you a good speaker. I can grow you. I can change you. I can improve your talents. I can give you the ability to do things that right now you don't think you have the ability to do. And do you remember that passage in Acts chapter 7 that's in your notes, verse 22? Moses was educated in all the learning of the Egyptians and he was a man of power. Listen, he was a man of power, the New Testament says, in words and deeds. Not just Moses standing at the Red Sea with the rod of God dividing the waters. Moses became a good speaker because between the time God called him and Moses' death, Moses grew. He changed. He became. He became a speaker. He became a good communicator. A man who was powerful in words, in speech. Why do you keep telling God, God can't do something in your life? Why do you keep telling God, He cannot use you? Why do you keep telling God you can't change, you can't grow, you can't become more? Why? Remember Moses said, Lord, who am I? Well, God had a response for that also back in chapter 3. Look at verse 12. He said, certainly I will be with you. I'll be with you. Have you ever done anything in life and, and the reason you were able to overcome your anxiety and do it, maybe it was something new you would never done before, but you overcame your anxiety and you did it anyway, it was because somebody did it with you. Hmm. Isn't it true that when somebody's with us, there's more courage than when we try to do things by ourselves? Moses, you're not alone. I am with you. Brothers and sisters, you're never alone. When God says you can become, you can grow, you can change, it can happen, you're not alone. God is with you. And 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 I I love it. And I want you to catch this. In this same conversation in chapter three, Moses said, Okay, now, God, just for instance, let's just do pretend for a minute. If I if I if I agree to do what you're asking me to do and I go to Egypt, they're going to ask me, Who sent me? Who are you? What am I to tell them is your name? And God said, Moses, tell them I am sent you. Now, that's our English translation of Yahweh, the sacred name of God, the sacred name of God that the Jewish people wouldn't even pronounce, meaning that God is, was, and will be. The eternal one. He's saying, Moses, tell them the great I am. I am. I am God. I am. I was. I am. I will be. Tell them, I am has sent you. And Moses has just stood before this great creator of the universe who's speaking to him and said, God, who who am I to do this? I'm, I'm nobody. And God It's as though God said, Moses, it really doesn't matter because I am somebody and I'm with you. You're not alone. The great I am is with you. It ain't about you. Stop making everything about you. When you make it about him, You find the freedom to become everything God's asking you to become because He is with you, and He will grow you, He will change you, He will help you. And as He says in Scripture, I will never leave you, I will never, ever, forsake you as he says in the book of Romans what can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus absolutely nothing the great I am is with you even if you don't think you are anybody he's with you and he's able do you get that do you, do you really get that well I got to wrap this up I'm out of time what, what is God asking you to do to become. In in verse 12, when God said, Moses, I'll be with you, at the end of that verse said, he said, Moses, you're going to go down there. I'll be with you. I'll give you the ability and the strength. Doesn't mean it'll always be easy, but I will be with you. It will happen. And when you bring them out, you're not only going to bring them out of Egypt to freedom, you're going to, Moses, you and I are on this mountain right now, the mountain. Of God. We're on this mountain talking, and I've given you this big job to do. And Moses, I promise you, listen, Moses, at the end of verse 12 in chapter 3, Moses, you're going to bring them back to this very mountain to worship me. God said, Moses, Here's what's going to happen. Here's what can be. And listen, when God talks to you about changing something in your life, when God speaks to you about growing, when God talks to you about becoming, God is holding up the mountain and He's saying, this is where I want you to go. This is where you can go. This is where you can be. This is what can happen. If you'll trust me. And stop making excuses. I'll bring you to the mountain. Don't allow the past or even the present to control the rest of your life. God can use your past, your present. Close with this story. You know, for years, all I knew about St. Patrick's Day was you wore green A lot of people like to get drunk. And some guy named St. Patrick chased the snakes out of Ireland or something. That's all I knew. That's probably about all most of you know, right? St. Patty's Day. Some time ago, I was reading a little book on evangelism. And it was about St. Patrick. Patrick was a a Brit. He was British. When he was 16 years old, he was captured by Celtic pirates. Took him to Ireland where they sold him as a slave. During those years of slavery, he learned the language and the culture of the Celtics. During those years, he also spent a lot of time as a slave reflecting on his Christian upbringing in Britain. And he became a devout follower of Jesus Christ while a slave in Ireland. Six years after he was sold into slavery, he managed to escape. He made his way home, became a preacher. A bishop and years later as a bishop, as a preacher, returned to Ireland where he led a phenomenal evangelistic church planting movement that turned a pagan nation into what for a long time was a predominantly Christian nation. But what God used was those years of slavery when he learned their language, learned their culture, and learned to love them even though he was a slave. God used Moses' experiences in Egypt growing up. God used those years in the desert as a shepherd because Moses would spend 40 years leading the people through those deserts. Whoever you are, whatever you've been, whatever your past, good, bad, and indifferent. If you will follow the call of God in your life today for the future, God can use all of it in a way that only he can. So stop making excuses. Stop allowing your past to prevent God's future from happening in your life.